George Bernard Shaw said this, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it's taken place. The reality is that people are just not communicating anymore. Not to the full extent that we, we should be, that is. Yeah, sure, we talk occasionally, we blog, we email, we text, we tweet, we reply and comment, but full out good old face-to-face communication seems to have been, for the most part, uh, abandoned. We live in a generation time where communication has been shocked up to the information that we can relay the quickest and most efficiently, all in 140 characters, right? What we can hyphenate and abbreviate and turn into an acronym, and my word, emojinize, all right? But the truth is, is that is not real communication. There's so much more. The problem is that, the problem is that we have technology. I'm not, I'm not downplaying technology, but that we've let it create the system for which our communication happens. I was watching some talks the other day. Goldman Sachs actually does some conversations that are semi-TED talkish, And one of the, one of the uh, speakers that they had on there was talking about the effect of social media and how it's literally rewired our brain. It's rewired the way that we speak and communicate. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody where they literally said LOL instead of laughing, right? It is reworking the way that we do things, the way that we communicate. And it doesn't, like the problem is, is that we can come to this place where we believe, it's called chronological snobbery, as C.S. Lewis put it, that we believe because we are in a progressive nature, because we are in a progressive state, somehow we are arriving to better places. But the truth of the matter is, is that our communication is actually dying. Our ability to have effective conversations is dying. That's why in the world that we live in right now, nobody can talk about the things that we need to talk about. We tweet about it, and we Instagram about it, and we throw out 140 characters and believe that's going to be the solution to the things that we face in the world. And can I tell you this morning that it's not? Right? It's not. We have to learn to communicate. Now, we spend a lot of time, and, and our church spends a lot of time in, in relational counseling, if, if you will. We don't offer counseling here as much as it's pastoral help, but I've been a pastor for a, le- a very long time now, and I, I see the same equation starting to take place in our relationships, whether it's a marriage, and you fill in the blanks this morning, and I want to kind of preface this. This morning, no matter what your relational status is, just fill in the blank, Okay. So I don't want to just talk to the marrieds in here. I don't want to just talk to the singles in here. I don't want to just talk to the this, 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 and this. So just you fill in the blank. I'm going to use relationship generically. There may be some moments that I, I speak directly to marriage or, or dating, but the, but the issue with communication is a blanket statement that we all need operating effectively in our, in our lives. Come on. We all need to learn to communicate better. And so in hours and hours and hours of pastoral help and, and counseling with couples, it comes down to the, the, the same three things that we see over and over again. And these are the big three that causes, uh, and, and statistically speaking, they, whoever the proverbial they are, would say these three issues are actually what cause the most divorces in our nation. Sex, finances, and communication. Those three things right there. Sex, finances, and communication. They would also say that communication is the gateway for healthy sex, healthy finances, so on and so forth. Right? So communication, shout communication is a big deal. It's a massive deal. The way that we communicate is, is huge, and more importantly, the fact that we do communicate is even bigger. We need to learn to communicate. So this morning, I want to speak to you from the subject, it was autocorrect, <laughs> if you're taking notes this morning. As we look at how we communicate and the importance of communication in our relationships. Will you pray with me just one more time? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active. It's powerful. 
God, I ask right now that you would communicate to us. That you'd speak to us. Our hearts are open and our, our, our ears are attentive to your word this morning. And so I pray right now that as we, as we gaze upon your word, as we open up this conversation about communication, that you would speak to us. That these words that are said this morning, that they would be your words, not, not my words. And I thank you for this amazing church. I thank you for these beautiful people that are in here this morning, in our nine, and our 11, and our soon to be five tonight, God. I pray that this morning would be a moment where all of our relationships would take a step forward in health because of what we dig into this morning here in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and everybody shouted, amen. amen. I also want to say this, no nudging your neighbor this morning, okay? Let's not do that. Let's not look at the person next to you and see, like, this is for you. It's for all of us <laughs> this morning. I, got to, I talked to one couple afterwards, and they're like, that, that message was like for him. And I was like, <laughs> You missed the point. Um, the Bible has a lot to say about our communication. Communication is the lifeblood of our marriages, our friendships, our jobs, our parenting, dating, and pretty much every relational status that we find ourselves in. As much as oxygen, if you're taking notes this morning, I'd love for you to write this down. As much as oxygen is to the body, communication is to relationship. As much as oxygen is to the body, communication is to relationship. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at some truths that the Bible teaches us about communication and draw some practical application from those things to apply them to our relationship. We're going to get right into the points for the point-loving people in here. We're going right into it. So this is, I need your help this morning. Everybody shout number one. This is the first observation I want to make this morning. How you say things is just as important as what you say. How you say things is just as important as what you say. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1 says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Again, with any of this, there are going to be points that apply greater to our lives than maybe other ones, but we can always get better no matter where we're at. Come on, somebody. We can always get better at, at doing these things. And the book of Proverbs is very dialed into this subject of our communication. I've realized that the, the people most comfortable with this are usually the ones, the ones, the, the people that are most comfortable with this conversation are usually the ones that get the bad end of our communication, right? There are those of us this morning who are sitting here going like, man, I really need this message, but the person next to me really needs this message. And what I want to deal with this morning is, is this first one, is how you say things is just as important as, as what you say, because we have to remember this. We have to remember that those closest to us deserve the best of our communication. Have you ever noticed that we give those closest to us, though, the worst of our communication? We spend our entire day talking to our coworkers or our bosses or the barista or the people that we're in line with or whoever you, you uh, are around during the day. We spend more time guarding and guiding the way that we say things with them than we do the people closest to us when we get home. And what are we saying then to the people closest to us in our lives? When we give them the worst of our communication, we're saying that they are the least important to us. This is something, and like I said, this is going to be a challenging message for some of us this morning. One thing that Eric and I have, have, have had many conversations about that go like this. If you come home and you're snappy with me and you're short with the kids, because you've spent your entire day talking to everybody else in church or in this place or in that place, then what you're communicating to us is that we are not as important than everybody else. 
And so what I have to learn how to do is while I do my best to talk with you, the people that I've got to be the most aware of is my wife and my kids when I get home, my family, because at the end of the day, I care more about them than I do about you. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Some of you are like, well, that's, that seems weird. It's true. It's true. It's true. Why? Well, because I'm not married to you. Thank the Lord. I'm married to her. I'm not raising you. I'm raising my, my children. And I get it. Most of our communication at the end of the day is at the end of the day, isn't it? For a lot of us, whether that is our, our, our spouses or our friends or families, so on and so forth. And so what we do is I mean, I'm spent. I've, I've given all my words. I've held up my emotions in front of people. And now I want to just be able to come home and say what I want to say. But the problem is, is how you say things is just as important as what you say. And we've just got to get good at being good at this. Well, don't put that on me. Don't put legalism. That's not legalism. It's responsibility with the relationships that we have. It's amazing how many of us will go into a job interview, right? And we'll put on the best conversation, won't we? Have you ever noticed that you're like, your tone changes? Like you walk into a job interview and you say, how are you doing today, sir or ma'am, whoever's in charge? How are you doing today? I just want to tell you that who this person is right here is the best fit for your company. And let me tell you why. Three main points that I have for you this morning is, one, I am an awesome worker. I am diligent. I will get things done around here. Two, I care about the people around me. And so I'm willing to invest everything that I am into this job that you are about to give me. And three, I'm just simply awesome. You know you want to give me this job. I've got the education. Here's my resume. It's 15 pages long. You will find that I'm the most articulate person for this job. I can type a thousand words per minute. I will give you everything that you possibly need. Thank you for your day. Thank you for your consideration, and I'll be calling you in 15 minutes to see if I got the job. <laughs> you step out that door, and you get on the phone, and you're like, yo, bro, I just nailed that thing. And everything changes about your language. Everything new you are changes. Why? Because you're giving somebody the best of you. To the married couples in here, why would we not give that to our spouse? Why would we not give that, give that portion of who we are to the person who means the most to us. But you're like, well, Jason, it's a job. I don't care. Jobs are going to come and they're going to go. I made a covenant with her, not my employer. Getting quiet in church this morning. How you say things is just as important as what you say. Come on, every shot number two. Know what you are saying before you say it. Know what you are saying before you say it. Proverbs 15.2. These are not my opinions. This is scripture. Watch what it says. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. This scripture is really talking about something I know a lot of us deal with, and that is saying something based out of emotion rather than knowledge. Come on, show of hands. Little therapy. How many of us have ever spoken out of emotion before? Come on. And if you haven't, you're a liar. Just put it out there. <laughs> All of us have. Maybe the person in the car next to you didn't hear the words that you were saying, but you've spoken <laughs> out of emotion before. We've all done it before. We've all been angry before. We've all been sad before. We've all been in an emotional place before, and we've said what is in us or what we're thinking about, but we weren't really thinking about it. We just spoke out of our emotion. And this is what the Bible is saying is that it is better to learn how to, how to speak from a place of knowledge Knowing what you say before you say it than it is to just speak out of emotion. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 26 to 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I love that verse right there. Because what this, this is what the Bible is communicating to us. And I think, I think uh, the church Christians have gotten this really loopy sometimes. We believe that the best way to do this is not be emotional. Right? So we become emotional drones. We believe that emotion is somehow not God-given. It is God-given. Right? We just have to learn to steward the emotion that we have and do not sin in that emotion. The Bible says be angry. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. But then I have the option right there. Do I speak out of that frustration or do I speak out of a knowledgeable place? I can be angry at my wife, but the, the way I say it and the what I say has, has to come from a different place than what my emotion yeah. is. What my emotion is. We all do it. We, we, we speak from emotional places. It's amazing how much further we could go in our communication if we would stop and allow ourselves to really listen and learn from our relationships rather than speaking from a purely emotional position. And I know this because I'm an emotional person. Erica thinks very cognitively about what she says, for the most part. <laughs> I just had to put that out there. <laughs> for the most part. But I am a wild train of emotion. That's just me. I wake up, I'm emotional. I go to bed, I'm emotional. And in the middle of the day, I'm emotional. Right? That is, that's my personality. <laughs> For those of you who were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. That's my personality. But I have to steward my personality. And while I'm an emotional person, and, I, and, and it's okay to validate those emotions, and she can validate those emotions, if I'm angry, I can't just talk out of anger. If I'm frustrated, I can't just surely say things because I'm frustrated. Why did you say that to me? Because I'm frustrated. That didn't give you the right to say it. Why? Because words are an index to our soul. And confusion is the seed of division. And when we don't stop to listen and understand, we tend to say things that have no bearing to the conversation or situation. Therefore, sending it into a downward spiral of unproductive. You ever been in that type of conversation before? Come on, you ever had a, an, a, a holy debate before? We call those arguments, just so you know. <laughs> you ever been fighting before? And it's like, I just asked you to get two gallons of milk, not one gallon of milk. And because you're saying things in emotion, you end up over here talking about something that happened 20 years ago. Like, wait, I thought we were talking about milk. Not like this latent bitterness that's going to cause brokenness everywhere. <laughs> How did we get here? Well, it's because we went into a conversation not knowing what we were going to say before we said it. So the second thing that we need to understand about communication is we've got to know what we say before we say it. One of the greatest ways to mitigate this issue is by simply choosing a time to communicate and being, being very diligent about that. Some of you need to write this down. Choose a time to talk. Okay? Now, I'll say this. Eric and I are not good at everything in our relationship. Like, we've got a lot of areas that we are working on and trying to fix. But I, if, if there is one area where I would say that we work very hard at, it is communication. We communicate all the time. All the time. We will communicate in front of you. And some of our staff have seen that happen before, right? We, will, we communicate. Why? Because we understand that communication is king when it comes to clarity in a relationship. Why? Because of this truth right here. One of the greatest things that happens when we don't take the time to communicate is that you make assumptions. Tweetable moment. 
Here it comes. If you don't make communication, you will make assumptions. Hashtag, you know what assumptions does to us. And the funny thing is, is that a lot of our relationships are based on assumptions, not communication. Ever noticed that before? When we really dig in, you were like, and we say it too. We're like, well, I, I just assumed. Well, why did you assume? Because we didn't communicate. So we start reading into each other's mannerisms. We start dialing into their body language more than what we would normally do. When she's in the kitchen cooking and she moves her shoulder just a little bit, I go, man, what did I do to you? She's like, there was a fly on my shoulder. And we start assuming these things, and, we start, and, I, and I'm the worst at it sometimes. She'll say something, and I'll interpret what she's saying, or she'll say it a certain way, and I'll be like, why are you so snappy with me? She's like, I'm not snappy with you. I was just saying hi. <laughs> but because we haven't communicated, because we haven't talked, I'm making assumptions, and I'm dialing into things. So we've got to be careful. We've got to be proactive in our communication. It's about thinking about what we're going to say, taking the time to labor, plan, and execute our communication in an appropriate way. It's amazing that we'll do this in every other area of our lives except when it comes to our relationships. We will take the time to be diligent. I study multiple, 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 multiple hours a week and write multiple, multiple, multiple amounts of notes so that I can bring a clear and concise and well-communicated message to this church. I better be doing that with my wife when I want to talk about something. And so we sit down, we sat down the other night, this happened in our house the other night. We were sitting on the couch and our kids were getting crazy around us and we were needing a time to connect because things in our house have been a bit nutty. And so finally we just, we had this moment where it's like we're sitting down, we're connecting, we're talking and our kids, have you parents, you especially know this, like the minute you start talking, it's like a beehive. Like all of a sudden they want to be around you whenever you start talking and for a lot of us, Parents especially, we just go, okay, and then we allow the kids in, and then it's another moment that we stop. So we said, stop, collaborate and listen. <laughs> go downstairs, now. Go play, go do something. We didn't say it that hot. We were like, can you please go downstairs? <laughs> That'd be great. Mom and, mom and dad are trying to talk, right? We said, guys, you need to, you need to move the chaos to another room because mom and I are, are trying to communicate. And for a lot of us parents, that's really hard to kind of wrap our minds around because like, well, isn't that going to be detrimental to the kids? You know what's even more detrimental? When our marriage isn't what it's supposed to be. Because I failed to communicate with my wife. So we decided to communicate. And then after we got done communicating, we went downstairs and had a movie night with our kids. And then we communicated with them by being with them and talking with them and joking around and having fun. I'm belaboring this point because I need us to understand. We've got to know what we are saying before we say it. We've got to think about what we're saying. We've got to stop and engage our relationships with a manner of tact. Number three, come on, every shot, number three. Third one is this. A little encouragement goes a long way. A little encouragement goes a long way. I love this one, Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. I've counseled many couples, and the one common thread that I have found tends to be missing from somebody. Marriages and relationships is that of encouragement. Come on, ever shout encouragement this morning. Come on, encourage, shout encouragement like you want to be encouraged. Right? We gotta, we gotta learn to be encouraging people. We have to work at creating a culture of encouragement in our relationships. Because how many of you know we don't need any more discouragement? We don't need any more discouragement. 
I get home from a long day, a hard day, a frustrating day, and my wife knows, and she's really good at being able to encourage me when she knows, man, it's been a tough day, or I had a rough morning, or I got a text that I wasn't really ready to receive. Instead of being more discouraging, she engages me and starts to encourage me. She's like, you know that there's a greater destiny on the other side of this. You know that we've got faith bigger than what we're dealing with right now. And she starts to be encouraging, and then all of a sudden I get a little like pep in my step, and I'm like, yeah, baby, come on, keep it coming, keep it coming. She's encouraging me. We gotta encourage our kiddos. We gotta encourage our relationship. For those of you who are dating right now, and I know that we have a lot of you that are dating here, come on, be good encouragers. Don't be good discouragers. Don't believe that you get out of your relationship what you discourage. Let's put it this way. You create what you celebrate. You create what you celebrate. My wife got her hair done the other day. Smoking hot when she came in. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. And so I decided, I decided in that moment I was going to celebrate some stuff. Because I was trying to create some stuff. Take me to church. <laughs> so I said, I stopped, I paused because she got home, and here's the context of everything that was happening. She came home, she had got her hair did, and she was gone for like four or five hours doing, doing her hair, and, uh, and, and it was awesome, and I wanted her to have the time, so I had little baby L, and I'm still like, as many kids as I've had now at this point, babies are still really difficult for me. Like, I just don't know what to do with you. And so she starts crying. But I don't want to call Erica and be like, the baby's crying. She's freaking out. And I don't know what to do. So I'm trying to be super dad. And literally, I held her for four hours. She was in my, my arm was numb because I just could only hold her. She wouldn't go down. She wouldn't take the biggie. She wouldn't do anything. And I'm like, I don't have anything to feed you right now. And so all of those things were happening. But she got home and I wanted to unload the baby on her, which I did because I had to go to a that I was running late for and all this was going on and I put the baby in her arms and I was starting to hustle off and then I remembered you create what you celebrate hey baby your hair looks awesome today I stopped in that moment your hair looks really good it's really nice and I said it like three or four more times throughout the day not because I forgot that I said it but because I wanted to make sure that I celebrated her and I encouraged her and this isn't just for our marriages, this is for our friendships, this is for our relationships, this is for our churches, this is for our businesses, this is for all of these things. Come on, business owners, what you celebrate, you create. If you want people in your place of work that are pumped about working, celebrate them. But we live in a world right now that for some reason has a really hard time with encouragement. And so we got to learn to encourage one another. Come on, every shot number four. Number four is this one. Communication is a heart issue. Communication's a heart issue. Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles a person. See, words are the fruit that show the quality of a person's heart. Ultimately, the way and the how to which we communicate is a reflection of our hearts. I really like how the New King James translates it. It says like this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I think it's a pretty stark challenge for all of us. To look at our relationships and ask this question, not what's wrong with them, what's the condition of my heart? 
You ever done that before? You ever tried to look at what's wrong with everybody else instead of holding up the mirror and going, what's wrong with my heart right now? And that's ultimately what we're starting to look at is we gotta, we gotta understand, if things keep coming out of your mouth, we gotta take a look at what's wrong with our heart. So let me ask you this question this morning. Can we go challenge really quick? Write this down. What is the state of my heart? What is the state of my heart? But this goes two ways. Out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. But out of the wrong conditions of our hearts, our mouth will stay silent as well. It's twofold. Let me dial into what I'm talking about there. Have you ever met the person that just simply won't communicate? And maybe you are that person, and for whatever reason, you believe that everybody should just simply know your heart. You know my heart. And you, like me, and like everyone else, goes, no, but I don't know your heart. I can't see in you. I'm not, I'm not a heart surgeon. I don't know what's in there. And we say these things, you know what's in my heart. You, you know my heart, babe. You know my heart, mom. You know, you know my heart. And we say these things because we're afraid to communicate what's really in there. And the condition of our heart, no matter where we find ourselves on this spectrum, we got to understand that it is our job to allow our mouth to communicate what is in my heart. I have to let my kids know that I love them, not assume that they know I love them. So as much as I get, my kids hate it probably now, but I tell them I love them all the time. I love you. And then they won't say anything to me. Justice is the worst at this. He just giggles. He's like, <laughs> awkwardly. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, I love you. And I, and I got to press him on it. And he's like, I, I love you too, Dad. Now Shiloh, on the other hand, I mean, she'll give it freely, right? I love you. And she's like, I love you. And she's all pumped about it, <laughs> right? <laughs> but my boy, why? I'm trying to work. I'm trying to let him see that his dad's not afraid to communicate what is in his heart. We sat down yesterday, we were at a, at a restaurant yesterday, all the family, and, and uh, I'm trying really hard to make sure that my phone, it's Saturday, so I put my phone down, I put it away, the girls went to the, to the restroom, um, because Erica's teaching Shiloh now that girls always go in packs, and so they went, <laughs> right, it's true, it's true, safety in numbers, I get it people, I get it, and so Justice and I are sitting at the table and I said, so let's play a game, bud, and he's like, okay, what game, and I was like, I want you to tell me what you love about me. I know, it sounds super like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I was like, because I'm going to tell you what I love about you. And he's like, okay, I love that you play Legos. I'm like, okay. I said, I love that you love Jesus. He's like, okay. I love that you wrestle with me. I'm like, I love that you're finding the physical things that we do together. <laughs> I said, I love that you've got a destiny on your life. And so we went back and forth until the girls got to the table. Why? Because it was in that moment that I'm, I'm trying to go, okay, I need to help him understand that we communicate what is in our hearts. We've got to communicate what is in our, our hearts. And the last one is this. Is this helping anybody this morning? <laughs> number five. Every shot number five. The last one is this. It takes two to talk. Come on. If it takes two to make a thing go right, it takes two to talk. Just got to put that out there. <laughs> Proverbs 18, verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. That's the Bible. 
A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. We have to be the type of husbands and wives, brothers, sisters, friends, leaders, and bosses that create space for equal conversation. Because it always takes two to really talk. And the best communication that we can have is when there are two active parties in our communication. We've got to learn how to talk to each other and both engage in the conversation. Both be the type of people that, that I, want to, I want to understand where you're coming from. And this is what takes place. When two people can talk healthfully, this is what it looks like. We're no longer interested in being right. We're interested in being sorry. Because things don't change by people being right. Things change by people being sorry. Come on, we live in a nation right now with a lot of people barking about their thing that they're right about. But what would happen if somebody stepped over the line and said, I'm sorry? I'm sorry that this is what you've had to go through. What if some people stepped over the line and actually got empathetic and put themselves in the shoes of somebody else and instead of trying to be right about something, they were sorry about something, we would see some change start to take place in our nation. And I'm watching marriages fail around us because we have two people trying to be right, not sorry. But pastor, you don't understand, I am right. It doesn't matter whether you're right or not, do you have the ability to be humble and sorry? Because that is where reconciliation and restoration takes place. Our ability to say sorry. There's lots of times where her and I, we have to get to the place where I say I'm sorry, not I'm right. Because all of us know this truth. When we say I'm sorry, the walls crumble. They crumble. Notice Jesus on the cross didn't get up there and say, man, see, I'm right. You guys are horrible. You're messed up. And here I am on a cross because I'm right. Now what did he say? He says, it's finished, and Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What was he trying to do? He was trying to break it. Why? Because he wanted to be the one that people could come to. And even on the cross, he was humble. And I actually think that when Jesus says we have to take up our cross and follow him, when it comes to our relationships, part of taking up our cross is learning to say, I'm sorry. Not that I'm right. Because here's the deal. I would rather be sorry and have my marriage than right and have nothing. Come on, somebody. We lose things when we're right all the time. But we gain everything when we put ourselves in a humble place and learn to say, I'm, I'm sorry. This has been the hardest thing for me to do with my kids because I'm dad, I'm always right. Come on, how many of us have heard that before, right? Our parents said it to us, I'm dad, I'm mom, I'm always right. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're wrong so many times. And the worst thing is when I have to like sluggishly slump myself into my son's room be like, dude, I'm so sorry. I hate this right now that I'm saying this to you because you're only seven. But I'm sorry. And he goes, it's okay, Dad. I love you. And all of a sudden, everything changes. And what am I teaching him? We can say I'm sorry. I'm not right all the time. 
We have to say I'm sorry to each other in front of our kids because we will have arguments in front of our kids at times. Because how many of you know that arguments are not a respecter of time? So I can't always make it a perfect situation for them. But you know what I will do? I'll also come over and say I'm sorry to her. Or she'll say she's sorry to me in front of our kids. And then we'll make out in front of our kids. And we teach them this is the process. <laughs> Where does this stuff come from? <laughs> supposed to know what you're going to say before you say it. <laughs> and I think this is Paul's point, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. And I end on this. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. This is what Paul's saying. I can be right in all these things, but still not have love, and I am nothing. I can have perfect faith, and I can have perfect religion, and I can have perfect adherence, and I can have perfect all of these things. I can be right in all of these things, but it doesn't matter because it is the opposite of love. And then he goes on to show us what love is, and he says it's patient and it's kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but the perfect but when the perfect one comes, the partial will pass away. And this is what he says, and this is what we need to hear this morning. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, and I thought like a child. Have you ever noticed children always have to be right? Think about that. They're always right. And this is what Paul is saying. I gave that up when I became a man, when I became mature, when I became fully grown. I actually moved away from having to be right all the time and learning to love, learning to say I'm sorry, learning to be the type of person that humbles myself so that I can keep a relationship healthy and functioning. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. In Jesus' name, will you stand your feet with me this morning?